As first officer, I take pride in knowing every name and assignment on the crew manifest. You were to be on the prison transport shuttle that left yesterday. Captain Lorca offered me an opportunity. I can tell by your threat ganglia that you are consulted. The captain keeps his own counsel. Had he inquired, I'd have suggested the duty roster lacked any opening for a mutineer. A valuable asset. That's what you called me. I was speaking hypothetically, politely, and as someone who was certain I would never see you again. You can tell your threat ganglia to relax. I'm only here to help. My ganglia remain unconvinced. Welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show, your place for a detailed analysis of each episode of Star Trek Discovery. Now here are your hosts, Sean Ray and Rick Tatro. Hello everybody and welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. My name is Sean Ray. Uh, Rick is out this week, but I promise he'll be back next week. Uh, tonight, we're talking about the fourth episode of Season 1 of Star Trek Discovery, which was titled... The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry, which is a really odd Star Trek title. But it was uh, written by Jesse Alexander and uh, Aaron Collette and directed by Olatunde Osunsami. Osunsanmi. Something like that. Joining me this week are a few guys that I'm looking forward to dissecting this episode with. First of all, we have the head of the Simply Syndicated Network, Mr. Richard Smith. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem, no problem. And we have Mr. Scott Madison. It's fun to be back. Thank you very much. And if you listen to my other two podcasts, uh, Cosmic Potato and The Prime Direction, then you've heard my next guest before, journalist and co-host of the Castle Rock TV podcast, Mr. Christopher DeFilippis. How are you, sir? Very well, Sean. Very well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be talking about Discovery with all of you. Well, you guys, all you guys actually have something in common because Richard and Scott have both, in the past, they've hosted a podcast all about Quantum Leap. Hmm. And uh, and guys, uh, Chris was the author of one of the Quantum Leap tie-in novels back in the day. Oh no way! Yeah, he yeah, wrote, about, he wrote uh, about a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was called uh, Foreknowledge. I I, w- I will admit I was aware of this uh, beforehand, uh, mainly Sean because you had told me about it, and um, it it made me immediately run to my bookshelf and double check because I have one. Of the Quantum Leap tie-in novels. <laughs> There's one I'm in 18 sorry. chance, right? Right. And I'm, I'm sorry, Chris, it's it's not yours. <laughs> Can you, do you remember which one it was? Um, uh, I think the title is Mirror Image. It was uh, advertised on the, no, the cover. No, Mirror. Okay, Mirror Image is the last episode. It was probably Mirror, Mirror. Mirror, which was Mirror. The, the last, yep. It was the last tie-in novel. Right, exactly. It, it was mm-hmm. advertised on the front cover that it was the, the conclusion and I'm I still haven't gotten around to reading it. I got it at uh, uh, the one of the local secondhand bookstores, and this place is huge. I my wife and I like to go there every couple weeks, and we end up spending like two three hours. And I still haven't even scratched the surface of what they have in the store. It sounds amazing. Where is that now? Can I drive there? <laughs> if if you're anywhere near Southwest Michigan, then I'll give you directions. 
it's a deal. I'll keep it on my phone as a reminder. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into uh, talking about last night's episode, uh, quickly go over some of the news that's come out over the last uh, week or so since last week's episode came out. Um, so Alex Kurtzman was at a was at New York Comic Con this past weekend. And he says, uh, conversations are going very well with CBS. He suspects an announcement for the renewal for you know season two will be coming out very soon. And Akiva Goldsman, who I, I, think, I think that's the guy that directed last week's episode, he said mm-hmm. in a press conference, you know, we've kind of talked about uh, in the past whether or not any of the uh, original series characters might show up on uh, Discovery, which we know Harry Mudd's going to be on next week, but he's not a regular um character but he said that spock and any other member of the original star trek cast will never be mentioned or appear in discovery even though Sarek plays an important role in the la- in the first two episodes at least and michael burnham made mention of her mother's son last episode foster mother yeah they're, they're saying that they're never going to refer to spock by name on the show so that'll be interesting to see if that actually uh happens or not because you know when when Smallville started back in the day, they also said no flights, no tights. And by the end of the show, you know, there was plenty of tights and plenty of flights. Yeah, so. It reminds me of Don Belisario saying Sam will never leap into Lee Harvey Oswald. And guess what they did? <laughs> and they season did. five, episode one. Right. Did he did, did he actually specify Lee Harvey Oswald? He, he exactly that. <laughs> Sam will never leap into Lee Harvey Oswald until the ratings start tipping. So we'll see what happens when they need to boost Discovery's ratings. Yeah. That, well, that, yeah. A lot of shows in their last <laughs> season, they really start to do. Sam leaped into Elvis that season and <laughs> yeah and he was Marilyn Monroe's bodyguard it right, was it was yeah. a pretty dicey season yeah Dr. Ruth Westheimer oh yes <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, I can't Rich. believe it's only just occurred to me wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier to have him leap into Kennedy and duck <laughs> true <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that would have just solved all the problems. Just having to do that. Or just don't go to Dallas. Hey, you know what? I'm not going to Dallas. Just cancel that yeah. trip. <laughs> just sit there. Throw a tantrum. Hold your breath. with the president. What's going to happen? <laughs> um, also, Jonathan Frakes, who, you know, played Commander Riker in The Next Generation, uh, he's going to direct an episode of Discovery sometime this season. And he came out and said that there's going to be at least one Mirror Universe episode in season one. Now, I don't know if he's saying that that's the one he's going to direct. I think that, me personally, I don't. I, I want to get you guys to kind of weigh in on this, but I don't think season one would be the right time to do a Mirror, a Mirror Universe episode because we don't know enough about the characters to to get the opposites, if you know what I'm saying. It mm-hmm. feels like that's that's putting a greatest hit out really early. Right. Yeah. Like again, wait till the ratings dip a little bit. Don't don't fire off your mirror universe episode in season one. No, they can't do that. They should. Well, they can, but they probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Out of curiosity, I mean, how many episodes are we expecting for season one? There's going to be fifteen. Uh, fifteen total. Yeah. That, that was the number I had in my head. And it, it's things like when you look on the IMDb, I think it says Rain Wilson, Harry Mudd, is in five episodes. Yeah. Yeah, he's getting a pretty big a, arc, yeah. Yeah, that's a third of the season. Wait, he's so in five I'm, episodes? I thought he was in two. Let me double check. 
Um, no, I, I believe had, you. It's just amazing to me. I had originally I, heard. I think I had originally heard three, but they, but they, uh, they've changed so much stuff over the last couple of weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if they'd added a couple more. Uh, I'm prepared to be wrong or for them to have changed. But do you it, think probably. that if they do go to the mirror universe, they will run into Empress Hoshi Sato? She'd be really, <laughs> she, she would be really old by then. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, she's the Empress. She probably yeah. drinks the blood of babies and is a, can live forever. Or just use it to the transporter like anybody else would to stay to stay young forever. I kind of got I kind of had a theory about which I was going to save this for the the predictions part towards the end of the episode. But what if we find out in the season finale of, of this season that this whole this whole thing has been in the mirror universe the whole time? That they're setting up the Terran Empire, and then at the end, she's gonna Michael Burnham's gonna get transported over to the Prime Universe, and then season two will be all about her trying to adjust to being in a new, a new timeline. You know what I'm saying? Because Kennedy was on uh, an episode uh, a few episodes back, and he said, "What if they're setting up a third universe?" And now I got to thinking, well, we all technically we already have a third universe. We have the Mirror Universe, you know, but. Hmm. That I would think, be insane, but I love it. I, I, I really like that idea, but all the... <laughs> I agree with half of what you're saying, Richard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, think it would, I think it would be insane, and I think it would be a bad idea, not just because um, for the first series of Star Trek that we've seen on television in over a decade, for them to say, oh, this whole time we've just been messing with you, this is not actually the Star Trek that you, that you know. Not only that, but with the... And the Enterprise told us two things. One, that uh, things were so far off the rails by the time of uh, Jonathan Archer and the NX-01 that there's no way they would look the way they do so far in this season of Discovery. But not only that, they showed us the the fracture point where the Mirror Universe breaks off from the Prime Universe, at least... If it's not the moment, then it is a moment of difference, and that being the moment of first contact. When Zephram Cochran takes out a shotgun instead of a hand of friendship, that's where things start going different. So it shouldn't look anything like the Star Trek that we know in Discovery right now if they're trying to set it in the Mirror Universe. And because of the special effects and the cinematography, it doesn't really look like Star Trek, but we get that that's what they're going for. So, yeah, and didn't uh, Captain the Captain of the Shinzu? I forget her name. Philippa Giorgio. Giorgio. She said Starfleet doesn't shoot first. I mean, that was the main conflict of the of the premiere episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got shot down with it online too, but I, <laughs> I thought it was, <laughs> it's still fun. I thought I would bring it. Up. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, okay, so we're going to do the, the spoiler-free portion of the show, and then we'll get into a plot summary in, a, in just a second. But uh, what did you guys think of this episode uh, overall? I'll start with Richard. I enjoyed it. Um, it's it's starting to find its feet now. Now we've got on board the Discovery, and we're getting on board with the, the new captain and the new crew and that sort of thing. It was exciting. I enjoyed it a lot. There, there's my my okay. massively <laughs> detailed summary. I, honestly, I am finding it hard to pick fault with anything on this show, and I'm trying. I'm really trying, uh, and it's it's really difficult. 
and if if anything, this I feel this episode is somewhat confirmed that we're going to a sort of uh, Game of Thrones style of story time, uh, storytelling in that every episode will be about getting me to watch next week, which is something that bugs me. But <laughs> other than that, yeah, this was a pretty cool episode. Yeah, I think I think uh, for me personally, I think every episode seems to be getting better. You know, we had a lot of questions after we saw those first two episodes because they were basically uh, like a prologue setting up the rest of the the rest of the season. But I, I feel like every episode is getting a little bit better. Scott, what did you think? Um, I I have to agree in that I think that they are uh, getting better as they go. Uh, in some ways, for example, uh, the Klingons don't take 45 minutes to say two sentences like they did in in the pilot. Um, they're actually talking a little bit quicker. It's a little bit more natural. But they still cannot get past the fact that every Klingon sounds like they're talking through two full latex masks in front of their mouth. <clears throat> it's it, It's like three Banes from The Dark Knight Rises <laughs> all smushed together trying to talk. Um it it doesn't sound natural and when all the evidence from every trek series we've seen before is that klingons don't really sound like that it's difficult to see them and hear them the way they're being presented to us right now that's that that's a a, a minor quibble um a larger thing that i've noticed about this series um and th- this episode really drove this point home for me is that it is more than any other Trek series, it is uh, exercising uncompressed storytelling uh, to steal a term that I learned from comic books uh, several years ago, where the events of this episode, if this were an episode of Next Generation, they would have finished this episode at maybe, at the most, the two-thirds mark of the episode, maybe the halfway point. Um, they, they take their time with every Uh, with every action, with every scene, uh, with every event in the episode. Uh, So by the end of the episode, I had the feeling of, well, it doesn't seem like a whole lot happened this episode. They, they figured out like a thing, maybe two things. Whereas classic, like next gen or um, DS nine Trek would have figured out one thing per act. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, I to- I totally agree. Jody and Data would have had that that special engine working halfway through last episode, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, just through necessity, like they would have. But, but it doesn't work. You've got two hours. Okay, then, and there it goes. Because that's all you need in engineering is just you need a poke in the dark, right direction. You can achieve anything. Mm-hmm. And the the way that they're explaining uh, technology that is beyond the viewer seems very different. But by the time we got to the end of the episode, I could tell, Oh, okay. They needed the, the, the big, the big little bug, the vicious, but, but not vicious, big little bug. And they need that little chair looking, uh, doodad that they took from the Glen. Uh, and they needed this thing and you, you just add them together and magically you have working organic drive. But with, a very rickety explanation of how it all fits together. They're not trying to sell the science. They're just trying to sell, Hey viewer, just trust us that this works. And then we run with it from there, which 
I suppose is okay. But for people who have been watching Star Trek for so long, you end up walking away with a feeling of, is it supposed to work? I don't get how it works. Okay, I, I don't guess think it works. At that point in the story, they don't know really how it works just yet. <laughs> They're yeah. figuring it out along with us, and I kind of like that. I suppose that's fair enough. I mean, Got how it. many episodes of Next Gen did we see? Oh, we know that at the seventh hour, they're going to tech the tech and warp away, and everything's going to be fine until next week when they need to tech the tech again. But at the, least the, this, you, you can see the stumbling and the journey here, which right, I think but, is refreshing. They would have taken the time, though, in, in Next Generation. You know, Data and Geordi would have had many terms, including such um, such keywords as phase and induction, plasma, ionic, um, anti-graviton, and... A, Neutrino uh, would have been Induces. Induces. There's always <laughs> some kind of inducer. Inducers <laughs> and, and gravitons. There would have been a lot more of those terms to explain everything. But they're trying to scale down the techno babble of made up words and replace it with high end special effects and hey it works now. Yeah. You may have spoiled the end of the episode there as well with all of that. But <laughs> well I think that uh I think that the difference in uh Lorca's relationship with uh Stamets um you know, if, if Picard had come to Jordy and said, hey, we need to do this, and Jordy said, nope, that's not going to work. We're all going to die if we do that. Okay, well, then let's figure out how to not die. Lorca's just like, I don't care. Do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and then and then they wind up almost flying into a star, you know. <laughs> so, Well, that's, that's what you can expect from a captain who works for blank, blank. Yeah. <laughs> I'll save that for later. <laughs> let's, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move on into... Uh, um, the the spoilery section of the show. Uh, John uh, sent me a few notes, and uh, I'm gonna kind of hit the highlights. But some uh, semi spoilery thoughts. Um, he says, first of all, Burnham was a bitch to Saru again, you know, for science, and seemed perplexed as to why he wasn't more. Uh, she seems perplexed as to why he wasn't more understanding afterwards. I'm not sure if she's actually socially stunted, if she just has the relationship with him. If she, if Sean Reed, what is wrong with you? Good. <laughs> if she just has this relationship with him, or if her Vulcanness in quotation marks just takes over when she's in super science mode, depending on depending on how they do this, it has the potential to make her less likable for me, which would be a shame. Brooding and solitary, I can deal with, but bitch gets on my nerves real fast. I did like that even as everyone on the Discovery celebrated their win, Burnham was still uh, standing apart. Uh, Burnham was kind of delegated to just Science Lab in this episode. She was kind of separated from everybody else anyway. Um, but she kind of did the same thing. I mean, well, I say the same thing. It wasn't it wasn't mutiny like she did before. But the captain told her to do one thing. She decided, no, it's not going to work. I'm going to do it this other way. <laughs> so her, it was crucial. The way that she did it was crucial. Yeah, and that was it was a turning point not for her, but I think for the show in general. Yeah, every every time she does it, she's right. She's absolutely right. But she does it a lot. But because I guess I don't know if it's just that she's always one step ahead of her captain or whatever. But when she committed mutiny on the uh, Shinzu, she was right and she was wrong at the same time. 
you know. And we talked about last week that even if she hadn't committed mutiny, everything that happened would have happened anyway. But um, but this time around, she didn't commit mutiny, but she went against what the captain had said, and she did experiments on this animal. He wanted to weaponize this animal. She wanted to use it to drive the ship or whatever, and she figured all that out. Well, if she hadn't, then everybody probably would have died. <laughs> well, I think this, when I said it was a turning point for the series, it's because I think you finally got more of the broader Star Trek message and theme last night. Up until this point, it's been sort of a pseudo-war show. And last night, we saw Michael approach a problem not in a bellicose way, not as a warrior, but as a scientist and embracing sort of the ideal that Star Trek has carried for such a long time. When she told uh, I, Rika Sharma's character, I forget what her name was, but she said this this alien is not what we expect it to be. It's what it is, and we have to go from there. And I think that she realized that they had it over on the other ship for a reason. And it's not the reason you guys are thinking, because it's not inherently violent. It's just cornered and trapped now. So why don't we figure out how it ticks, and then maybe we can figure out what they were using it for. And she let reason be her guide. And it was like, oh, wait a minute. I kind of fell in love with the show a little bit last night. And I've been, you know, nothing but um, circumspect. I've had a lot of trepidation about it. But last night was the first real glimmer of something I could really hold on to. And I absolutely adored that turn of scene when she turned what could have been a disaster into a plus for the ship. It saved the day. So if they keep going in that direction, I just can't wait to see how she clashes with Lorca and how they change each other. I think it's going to be really dynamic because if it was just them butting heads because she didn't want to do it, but he did want to do it. But now she's bringing results and maybe he's going to be forced to acknowledge that there are different ways of thinking, even in war. Or he could just go batshit crazy because he's got that potential, too. I love that as well. You know? Yeah. And, and Lorca, the, the main clash between those two is that she's a scientist and he is he well, he wants to be a warrior. He's the captain of a science vessel. But he doesn't want to be the captain of a science mm. vessel. He wants to be the captain of a warship. You know, I mean, he mm. even sa- he even says in this episode, this isn't a science ship anymore. It's a warship. You know, so th- I think that the fact that they're in- at war now is really firing him up. He wants to weaponize this animal. He wants to do it. And she's looking at everything through a more scientific eye. When the captain was confronting the engineer, what's the engineer's name? Uh... Is Stamets? Yeah, Stamets in yeah. sick bay. When yeah. he said, "I'll just, I'll take my, I'll take my research and I'll leave," and he said, "No, th- this research is the property of Starfleet." Right. And it was almost like, um, you know, Lando saying, "This deal is getting worse all the time." But was I the only one that was also thinking of David Marcus saying, "Scientists have always been pawns of the military," and it just shows you. Yeah, I, I just it, it made me think Wrath of Khan there, because he was right. I mean, he he signed up for an exploration sort of research trip. And now he's been co-opted to fight a war. Right. And I think that's a, that's a terrific conflict. That's a terrific dynamic. Well, I think that that will hopefully serve as a way to make Stamets a bit more of a likable character moving forward. <clears throat> if they start to shift his character into the area of, I want to be a scientist, but 
this captain is 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 crazy town. I should maybe line myself with Michael uh, in order for us to not all be destroyed by his uh, hubris and aggression. Then that I wouldn't mind because so far I I find Stamets to be uh, rather insufferable. I um, I I actually quite like him, and I'll, t- I'll right. Let me explain. He seems like the kind of character that once they get him onto talking about the thing that he's doing, whatever that thing happens to be, then he seems to become this really impassioned, uh, focused person. And at the times where we've seen Michael get along with him the best, it's when she's being all sciencey. And like in, in this episode where she gets the big thing to eat all the spores. And they just stand there watching it, and he's got the whole "My God, you're right." And this is, and they get on great. And I think that once he accepts her as a competent scientist and officer rather than a mutineer, then they're actually going to become quite a good relationship between the two of them. I could see that happening. Um, But yeah, I think I, I agree. It's a really interesting dynamic that he wanted to be there, and then there changed what it was, and he's still there, and there's nothing he can do about it. Uh, so you've just got to make the best of it. Um, but I, I do also enjoy how J- uh, Jason Isaacs isn't afraid to really just take the piss out of him. Sorry, I know he's Captain Lorca, but I'm go- he's going to be Jason Isaacs for a long time uh, <laughs> in my he, head. He, he's lucky that we're not calling him Lucius Malfoy. Right. Yeah. uh, You know, I'm over that bit of it, but he's Jason Isaacs. That's just how it goes. Um, I'm also having Michelle Yeoh. I've not bothered to learn her character name because she's Michelle Yeoh. So that's. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the weird thing. Whenever you get whenever you get a big name (laughs) to come on to Star Trek and try to play a character, it's hard to see them as anything other than what they were before. Like when Scott Bakula was on Enterprise, I kept seeing Sam Beckett. Yeah, he, what, that was Sam Beckett is suddenly the captain of a Starfleet. Actually. Yeah, yeah, it really yeah. was. And, and even uh, you know, I'm a big I'm a big Walking Dead fan. So even seeing uh, Sonequa Martin Green as Michael Burnham, I keep looking at her and seeing Sasha. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's weird how TV works like that. Know? It's but mm-hmm. it's it's not just Star Trek for me. It's pretty much everything. The, the same thing is happening with Lucifer this season uh, because yes, I'm still watching it. Why I couldn't tell you, but. Uh, in the premiere of season three for Lucifer, um, Tom Welling has been brought on as a guest star, uh, as a new supporting character. Uh, he is a police lieutenant uh, that the, the main character um, works for. And yeah, it's it, it's Clark Kent is there in the police station. There's no getting around it. <laughs> I didn't even yeah, know but he was still acting. <laughs> is that a shortcoming of Tom Welling? <laughs> I mean... Yeah. <laughs> He, he's it, he's who he is and whatever he goes into, I guess. I, well, it, we can't call it a shortcoming of his yet because it, it's only been the one episode. So we haven't given him as a performer time to uh, present himself as a new character um, with only having one character to see him. And it's just but 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 it's but it's Superman. See, I look at his face. I mean, can't you tell 10 years he was Superman? Just look at him. <laughs> oh no! I watched it from the first episode to the last, so I was one of the few that stuck with it. Mm. Yeah, a good example of it is uh, I, when I was a kid. I used to watch Reading Rainbow as a kid. So Lavar Burton, I, I, I knew of him before he was ever on Star Trek. So when I see reruns of Star Trek, The Next Generation now, my, it gets on my wife's nerves because he'll go into this long techno babble speech, and when he gets done, I'll turn and look at my wife and I'll say, 
But you don't have to take my word for it. (laughs) 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 But uh, let's talk about some of the things that we saw in this episode. So the show opens with like this microscopic view of what turns out to be Michael Burnham's uniform being replicated. And when I saw that, I was like, replicated? You know, because... As far as we knew, they didn't they didn't say they had replicators in the original series, but it kind of to me it indicates that the discovery is dealing with technology that's advanced beyond what other starships have. And it, I think this this might be like an interesting bit of retcon because yeah, they didn't have replicators in the original series, but we now know that by the 24th century or the 23rd century, they will be able to do this because we already have 3D printers that can print weapons and body parts and all kinds of stuff like that. So why wouldn't she be able to, you know, 300, 400 years from now, be able to make clothing with it? I'm going to make an argument against what you're saying, Sean. I mean, if, if the original enterprise 1701 had food replicators, you have to think that replicating organic material that's edible is a lot harder than replicating a piece of cloth. So maybe you just didn't see them replicate a uniform because it wasn't in the budget, but I can buy that if you can just, Put a card in a slot and get an ice cream sundae. Then why can't you put a card in a slot and get a pair of boots? Well, I, I had always assumed, and this is just my nerdiness talking. I always assumed that the next generation, I mean, the original series, didn't have food replicators because there was an episode where uh, which episode was it? Wh- which episode was it that had the kid that had all the the godlike Charlie powers? X, Charlie yeah. X, Charlie yeah. Evans. There was a scene in that where he the. Captain Kirk talks to the chef over the intercom, you know, so, and it's Gene Roddenberry doing the voice of the chef. (laughs) So, you know, in my mind, they have a galley, they have somebody down there preparing the food and he's putting them into these uh, machines where they can access them from different parts of the ship or whatever. So you see the replicator is more of an automat? Yeah. I agree with you. In Star Trek six, when Polaris, demonstrates that the phaser sets off the alarm she shoots a pot in the kitchen of yeah. mashed potatoes yes of yeah, mashed potatoes yeah. they're cooking dinner for everyone right. this is this is one of those examples of real life catching up to sci-fi and they have to shuffle it on a bit kind of thing i can still retcon it in my head <laughs> yeah yeah I, yeah I, I agree I, with I'm you a, sean i I'm a king of doing that. And I, <laughs> it, throw anything from Star Trek you want to throw at me, I will bend my mind into a pretzel to find a way to explain, well, this is how it could work. I, I make headcanon. Oh, I, I spent a lifetime doing that because I wanted to write Star Trek novels. I looked for all the inconsistencies so that I could figure a way to write a book around why it's different and, and explain the differences. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a little psycho like that, too. So we should get together sometime. that uh that mirror hologram that she used was pretty cool but i i thought that it was an instance of foreshadowing because i think that we're going to see that i think the only reason for them to show that she's using a hologram as a mirror is that they're probably going to use that again later on when you know she's needing to hide from somebody or something she's going to use that technology sometime in the future but uh but yeah i think i think we're going to see that again and then uh and then we finally we get back to the klingons so it's been six months since uh, since Takuvma was killed, six months since Giorgio was killed, and now the Klingons are in a state of disrepair. They're starving. They don't have uh, enough provisions, and uh, the Klingons ate Captain Giorgio. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know yeah. we've we've heard the Klingons say before that they eat 
the bodies of their enemies or something like that. But we've never heard that much detail about it. Yeah, the, and, at, at the at the very least, the heart. They eat the heart of their enemies. But yeah, I, yeah to a description of smiling as you as you pulled the meat from her smooth skull. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and 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 I looked at uh, what website is that? The Trek. Uh, what, what, oh, Memory Alpha. I looked at Memory Alpha, and they were describing it as being uh, out of revenge, and also because they were starving. You know, so they had to eat something, so they ate, they ate her. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was something a little bit different that we haven't we haven't heard before. Um, we also got. Uh, a lot more of Laurel in this episode. I mean, we met her before in the first two episodes, but basically now she's uh, Tox. Uh, am I saying that right? Talk in his name. Uh, Vok. Vok. I'm sorry. V V O Q. V O Q. Yeah. Vok's uh, second in command, and they obviously they kind of have a thing for each other. <laughs> the the romantic glow from the. Uh, uh, the reactor <laughs> next to him. Uh, they, um, she convinces him that he needs a processing unit from the Shinzu to repair the ship. So the Shinzu has been abandoned and just floating lifeless out there for the last six months, which I guess during war, you don't want to go during, uh, the actual war. You don't want to go into enemy territory just to reclaim lost vessels and stuff. So that, that kind of makes sense. Um, you well, I, I was I wasn't picking up that it was enemy territory. I was I was given the impression that uh, Vok and his followers on Takuvma's ship are still exactly where they were in the pilot episode, and all of the wrecked Starfleet ships are still just floating around him, and uh, he's had the Shenzhou basically within arm's reach the entire time, but he has refused to cannibalize it for parts because that's the ship that brought the, uh, the killer of their Messiah. Right. He, he thinks that ship is, you know, I'm not taking anything from that because that would dishonor Tukuvma's memory. I know it's literally right there. I can see it out the window and it has what we need, but no, I'm not going to take it. And then he's convinced to go get it. Uh, so rather than it's a bad idea to go to that ship, he is very much consciously choosing not to go to that ship. Which I think makes him kind of an idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because if your people are literally starving all around you, what you know, what what choice do you have if you're just going to stand on principle and wait for some kind of divine sign from Takuvma's ghost? Or it's one thing that is still falling down for me on this series is the Klingons, not just the makeup, but everything about them is over-designed, and the series itself is a bit over-designed. It's just, it, it, it's a little too much at times, but the Klingons especially. And I still can't figure out what this sarcophagus ship is supposed to be. I, how, does, how does this ship have cloaking technology, but the rest of the Empire doesn't? I know there's a schism in the Empire, but where did it come from? And, okay, now the Empire's off fighting this war, why are they still sitting there with the only ship that can cloak? Yeah. I just, that made it me makes think no of something sense else. To me. Just, if I can jump in real quick and ask, does anyone here remember um, on Enterprise, anywhere in those four seasons, uh, anytime we saw Klingons, 
did we see them with cloaking technology or were they careful to not give Klingons the ability to cloak in Enterprise? Does anyone remember? Don't remember. I don't remember. No. Not a clue. Well, I guess I'll have to rewatch that once I'm done with the <laughs> DS9. I thought you were going to come back with the answer. <laughs> oh, no, no. I was honestly asking because I, anytime that I've done a rewatch of Enterprise, I have left seasons one and two out. I start with season three and I rewatch that one and four. So I can enjoy the Zindi arc, which was my favorite, and then the really well put together. Um, smaller arcs of season four and then get really upset at the se- at the series finale. And then I go back to TNG and start over again. What? That, but that was a love letter to the fans. You didn't love it? <laughs> <laughs> but Brandon, Brandon, Brandon Braga says that's the only time that Scott Bakula was ever mean to him. <laughs> um, so... We we get a an idea of why the uh, the discovery saucer section is shaped the way that it is or designed the way that it is. You know, it's got that empty space in the saucer section, and I've been trying to figure out why it was designed like that. And then we saw last night that the two parts rotate independent of themselves, so the inside can go one way and the outside can go the other way. Uh, that was kind of strange. That's not something that we've ever seen a ship do before. Have we? I don't think. No, we no, no. We, we because I think I absolutely, like I, I would have loved it as much as I loved seeing it last night because it explained some of the weird design of that ship. And not only did they rotate um, counterclockwise to each other, but they had, it, it looked like it even came up um, like a gyroscope almost. Um, when, when they were going into what, black black alert. Yeah, and they were using the spores to travel. Not only does the rotation is just the beginning of that, and then it seems to go like round, it, like like it comes up in three dimensions. I thought it was really an awesome effect, and then the way it zapped into the to the planet to the planet surface to save the miners. I, I it, just I was blown away by that. Does it rotate like that because of the uh, of the propulsion technology or is it got something to do with the weapon systems i was i was assuming that they were doing it to rotate their guns around no i thought that that was just the technology the propulsion yeah it could be it could be maybe it's both i mean if you if you have the capability why not use it both ways yeah 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 because the like i said I, i thought it had something to do with the weapons but that really wouldn't explain why the inside would rotate around too but i don't know so uh so the Discovery's running drills over and over. They're not doing very well they, they, because they're they're all scientists. They're not, you know, they, they've been through combat training before, but it's not what they specialize in. They specialize in doing sci- scientific experiments and things like that. Uh, but they get orders to go protect the dilithium mining colony that's under attack by the Klingons, which the name of the colony was, because we've heard of them before, I had it I had it here. It is... Corvin, Corvin two, uh, that it was mentioned before in the Next Generation episode New Ground, um, the the Corvin uh, colony was on the verge of extinction because of the uh, industrial pollution on the planet, and that that was so that's you know the Next Generation episode, but this is the same the same planet. And they're being attacked by the Klingons, and they decide to uh, try to use the or. Lorca promises the Admiral, yeah, we can use it. 
it'll work fine, you know. And then he goes to the engineer, to Samus, and Samus is like, no, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so they try to use it. They almost die. And then, uh, of course, uh, Michael Burnham is able to figure out that that animal from last week that Lorca decided to keep so that he could weaponize, which I knew when I saw when I saw the animal in the cage at the end of last week's episode, he's wanting to he's wanting to weaponize that in some way. But she was able to figure out that this thing is able to talk to the spores and that that's why the Glen had been success mostly successful until they weren't <laughs> mm-hmm. with their propulsion system and and, and uh, the discovery hasn't been able to make those strides yet. Didn't they also kind of explain what happened to that first ship, that it really wasn't a, an error in the propulsion, but they hit some kind of hawking radiation or they hit some kind of mm-hmm. thing, some kind of anomaly in space that caused them to turn inside out, basically? Yeah, they said that they came, yeah. out, they came out of the, the drive. I don't want to call it warp, you know, but whatever it is, that when they came out of it, they ran smack into some kind of radiation wall. And it killed everybody. You think it was the barrier at the edge of the galaxy? Could be. Because, I mean, he, <laughs> just, he, <laughs> you're looking for original series tie-ins. I don't know. <laughs> well, it would, I mean, I don't know how it, how it got back to where it was unless, you know, there were enough people still alive to be able to get, get it back to, you know, Federation space so that they could be found. Because they, he he made it sound like they went all the way over to the other side of the Beta Quadrant, which at that time was not was unexplored space. Mm. Well, he he had been saying that they had done that before, not necessarily where they were going every time. So they it might have been they were coming back from Beta Quadrant, or it might have been just a smaller jump. I think where they had been and where they were going is less important than what they smacked into when they. Uh, when they arrived wherever they were <clears throat> but did you guys ever think we'd live to see a day when the infinite improbability drive became the main engine on a star trek <laughs> <laughs> I, am i the I one that picked up on that or <laughs> i did pick up on some i did pick up on something last night because and i can't remember off the top of my head the name of the creature they named it something last night. Now, not its actual oh, name. Oh, Ripper. It was, yeah, Ripper. It was, they, they called it yeah. Ripper, but the, the actual name of what it was. Uh, like a trilobite, I think? It sounded like it was like... It, it was it, it was TG. The, the initials that they used for it on the screen were TG. I can't remember what the word well, is. I, I do remember that it was... It began, in, it began with Tard. Because it made oh. me think, oh... Tard- tardigrade, tardigrade. Okay, so that made me think, that I may be reaching, but the drive that's able to take them anywhere in the galaxy at any time is a TARDIS. <laughs> 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 or it's controlled by a TARDIS or whatever, which which may lead to some uh, some time travel antics by the end of the season. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, well, I'm I'm waiting to find lead out to the mirror universe probably. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah they all, all of all of this has got to go somewhere epically wrong, hasn't it? Because we know that this spore drive thing isn't going to work, right? It, it's it's going to not work so badly that no one in the next century is going to even remember it, that exactly. it exists. Yeah, so I'm just waiting to find out what that event is, and will that where will that come in the lifespan of this TV show? 
Well, I'm wondering if it's it, it it's not going to exist in the future or they're just not going to know about it, but Section 31 is going to be using it. Because Discovery's... Uh, oh, blank, blank. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're in the spoiler section now. But um, Discovery's uh, call letters end with a 31. So mm-hmm. I, I said last week that I think that Discovery... Section 31 may not exist yet, but I think that... This, it does. It does exist? Okay, I was thinking maybe Discovery is the birth of Section 31 or something. No, we, we saw that. Section 31 on Enterprise. Malcolm uh-huh. got swept up in That's Section right. 31. That's yeah, well, Malcolm used to work for 31 before he posted to the Enterprise. So Section 31 existed before uh, the pilot episode of Enterprise. Okay, okay. That's why I bring you guys on here because <laughs> you, know, you know a lot more about this stuff than I do. No, but I think 1031 were the call letters because Brian Fuller's that's his birthday or his favorite holiday is Halloween or something. That yeah. I mean, it's it's simp- it's as simple as that. <laughs> and it, it even usually if you... is. We always put more in, <laughs> put more into stuff like <laughs> <Right>. that <laughs> than it really than is really there. But and you, you can even look past the the registry number and focus on that one line that they really made sure they put front and center. In uh, episode three, which was one of the uh, one of the convicts uh, walking by and saying, "You ever seen a black badge before? You ever heard of Section Thirty One before?" is what they're really saying. I mean, why else are we going to have Starfleet officers with black in- insignia? They will eventually graduate to you know full black leather uh, uniforms with no logos whatsoever. But it's still the early days, so there's they're still wearing Starfleet emblems, but they're they're just black. I, I don't know if Section 31 is going to play a big part because how big of... In, in the popular consciousness, I think the show is trying to carve its own path in so many ways. And Section 31 is such a blatant callback to every series we've ever seen, except for maybe Next Gen. I don't know if they ever showed up in Next Gen. Nope. They were introduced in DS9. Right. So I've seen them in DS9 and I saw them in Enterprise. And... That's such a deep cut for a general audience. Darkness, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the I, fact the fact they brought it back for Into Darkness tells me that they'd be willing to bring it in here. And I I get the feeling that the the showrunners and the producers uh, view Section Thirty One as much more accepted and and interesting to the fans than say Rick might uh, might think because I Rick historically hates section 31 he hates the very concept of it but i think that a lot of the fandom especially the the more casual star trek fans find section 31 to be more exciting and more interesting um than than others uh the the people who they they don't really invest in and love star trek the way we do if you tell them but hey there's a a secret shadowy organization uh, you know, think X Files, but but in Star Trek, it's uh, a hidden, dark, covert section of of Starfleet. Now, ooh, well, that that sounds that sounds kind of interesting and exciting. Maybe I'll check that out. Because um, it, it was finally something that gave Star Trek a bit of edge. Yes, to it, and, uh-huh. I, and I, maybe they won't need it as much because Discovery is much edgier all on its own. Yeah, um, but. I don't know. See, I'm I'm a fan of Section Thirty One. I, I like the whole idea. The, the idea that Starfleet isn't perfect. Gosh, mm. and and it has this secret covert sort of black ops. Brilliant. Love that idea. 
from the moment it was introduced on DS9, I I loved it. Um, it was Inquisition was the episode of DS9 where they first introduced the concept of Section 31. And I just rewatched that, I want to say, within the last 48 hours. And it was it was still a thrill to to see them bring that concept on board. Um, and then every episode uh, after that where it was mentioned, I always thought it was fun. And uh, a couple of the Trek tie-in novels that I've read that involve Section 31 um, were, were also great. Uh, Hollow Men, I read, uh, 31 was in that. And there was a Star Trek Section 31 novel they have like a a small mini uh section 31 series mm. of books I read a, um that sheer one for the ds9 relaunch series uh, in, in the relaunch yeah um i think before the ds9 relaunch series i think they did like a small section 31 mini series one, one of those book series that that will cross through every Oh, uh, series of the like show the gateways or I yeah think it was, yeah like I that think it was called section 31 files or something like that yeah mm-hmm. well so i guess we've established that it is a fan favorite yeah 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 so i mean i wouldn't be surprised if it if it shows it may it may not be a thread that goes through the entire series it may just be something that goes through this season uh something to kind of culminate at the end of the season to explain some things and then and then move forward from there. I don't know. I don't. I don't think that Michael Burnham is going to be a Section Thirty One agent for the entire run of Discovery. But I wouldn't be surprised if we found out that at least Lorca was. Maybe not yeah, the I, entire ship, but maybe maybe just Lorca. I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a reveal near the end of the season that Lorca is is working for Section Thirty One, whether his crew knows it or not. But it's going to be him and probably a few people on the ship uh, also involved in the organization, um, which is why he is being given carte blanche to take discovery and win the war by any means necessary. Okay, we can't uh, we can't go without mentioning the fact that uh, someone that we thought was going to be a major character on the show died in her second episode. Uh, that 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 monster in the science bay kills. Landry, who is the security chief on the Discovery. And what was the actress's name? Uh, Rika Sharma. Yeah, okay, yeah. She, I met it? her she, once. She's very nice. Yeah, she was on Battlestar Galactica, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. So we, we at least I thought, she's going to be a major player on this show. But then they did, uh, they pulled a Game of Thrones on us and <laughs> <laughs> and killed her right out from under us. But uh, in, in, a, in a rather vicious manner as well. Yeah, yeah, they com- made there was a bit of a mess of it, wasn't it? And completely her fault. I mean, but did anybody? Her fault. Yeah, but did anybody notice when she was in sick bay the the sound effect for the med bed? I did hear that. Yeah, uh-huh. it sounded just like McCoy's bed. I love that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but yeah, I'm I mean, sorry, she, I derailed that. Sorry. No, 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 you're fine. <laughs> I, was, I was taking a drink. I'm sorry. Uh, she opens up the the cage and. Lo and behold, guess what? The thing attacks her and kills her. <laughs> what a surprise. I was taken totally off guard by that particular yeah, development. I, I didn't see it <laughs> yeah. coming at all. No, no. Yeah, but uh, I wasn't expecting her to actually die because, like I said, I thought she was going to be a major part of the show. Yeah, that I will admit. I, I expected that she was going to get 
um, you know, a little bit tore up. I didn't expect I, I didn't expect her to die. Back to the Klingons. Cole is from the uh, House of Kor. And Cole decides that he doesn't need Vok, and he takes his ship, and he leaves him stranded on the Shinzu. He was going to kill him, but then Laurel told him that it would be better if he stranded him there on the on the Shinzu, and then she sneaks off and stays with him. So, what do you think is going to happen to to Vok now? Because he, obviously he's a major player of the of the story. He is the Klingon equivalent. You know, we've got like mirror images on this show. We had uh, Takuvma and Giorgio both died in the in the second episode, and then Vok and Michael Burnham are kind of like the the mirror image of each other. So, but now Vok is stranded on the Shinzu. He doesn't have any food. He doesn't have any any kind of supplies. I don't know how long the life support on the Shinzu can last with him there. Uh, what do you think is going to happen to him at this point? How is he going to get back to his ship? <clears throat> No idea. Well, <laughs> he, um, he will though. He will. Well, what, I don't what know. Was, well, they they did explain, um, you know, what's going to happen, where he's going to go. But before I get into that, um, uh, Sean, we do have uh, Rick is available if we want to bring him into the show. Oh yeah, hold on a second. Let me pull this. Uh, let me pull this up, and I'll try and add him. Um, what, while you're working on that, um, is, is Laurel? Is that the name of the of the Klingon lady? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. She she told him I have a ship. Oh, that's right. With oh, her, yeah, she did say her that, mother's okay. house, right? From her mother's side of the family. Yeah. I, he's got to go and talk to them, but he's got to give up everything in the process, mm-hmm. is what she said. Yeah. Wait, so so when, you're board, on the, when you're standing on the board of a, a derelict ship that's about to run out of life support, giving up everything is, you know. <laughs> it's pretty I easy. guess so. And I, mean, I can deal with that. I mean, it's still, I think, one of the one of the few weaknesses left in the show is that I really just don't care what happens to Vok, because mm-hmm. I don't know how he fits in anywhere. I don't know what's going on with the Klingons and where he is vis-a-vis. I have that, a theory. That, that situation. Rick, you have a theory? I do. Hi. 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 <laughs> <laughs> how y'all doing? Who, who's this interloper? <laughs> <laughs> I am son of none. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that the the uh, if you don't mind my my jumping in, um, no, I, I think that the her statement about uh, he has to give up everything or, or sacrifice everything. I think there's more to it than just his you know social standing or or any of that stuff. I think that there's going to be an actual physical transformation towards what we know already Klingons to be. What what the the way we expect Klingons to be. That hadn't even occurred to me, but now I hope that you're right because. I'm yet an, another example of something that I'm having a really hard time getting over um, because we, we know in, well, uh, 10 years from where this show is taking place, Klingons are going to look much more like humans. And we've gotten an explanation for that in Enterprise, which means that about 100 years ago is when Klingons went from looking like Worf to looking like humans. And now they have not only somehow stopped looking like humans, but they have gone way far in the other direction and they look way more alien than we've ever seen. And there's no explanation for this. Are they going to give us one? I don't know. If they if they try to give us an explanation that makes sense by having Vought go through some sort of a, a transformative event with the matriarchs of... Is, is it Morkai? Morkai, yeah. Then 
I'll, I'll give them credit if they if they try. But I'm really worried that they painted themselves into a corner by and I I'm so glad, Chris, that you threw this term out there because it is so apt over designed. Everything is just so over the top with the Klingons. It's distracting. Yeah, it's like how I'm, do they walk around in those outfits without right. hurting themselves? I, I, I'm worried that they <laughs> yeah. that they painted themselves into a serious corner by over designing the Klingons to such a degree that there is no way to explain why they look that way, considering we know what they looked like in the days of the NX01. We know what <laughs> they looked like in the 23rd century. We know what they looked like in the 24th century. We've never seen this before. May, may I put forth a, a slight correction on that statement? We know okay. what the Klingons we saw look like in Enterprise and in TOS and in TNG. Hmm. The Klingon Empire, and this is something I've always had a problem with about the Klingons in Star Trek, is that the Klingon Empire has always, we've only ever seen one species. Suppose that what we're seeing now is all of the different planets of the Klingon Empire that have become uh, speciated by just distance and there's one house that looks like the the core and Kang and Koloth we saw on TOS. And maybe there's one house that looks like Martok and, and Krug and all of them. And maybe the 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 matriarchs of Mokai are going to somehow uh, transform Valk into something that's maybe a bridge between all of them, or maybe we're looking at most of these species are going to die off in, in the in the Federation War or in a Civil War right after. We know very little. I've, I've seen this a lot uh, on social media about, oh, we didn't know about this before it happened on TOS, or we didn't see this, or they didn't know this. All... Uh, some of it, yeah. Some of it was, you know, canonically, they say, you know, we haven't seen a Romulan in 100 years. Okay, that's that's indisputable. But the Federation knew about the Gorn before the battle at Cestus III. So Lorca having a Gorn skeleton in his closet doesn't mean the Federation ever saw them. It's just the first time Enterprise encountered them. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, you know, we have seen the Federation and the galaxy of Star Trek through a very, very tiny peephole. A small percentage of people. Now we've we've we know about some big events like the the Dominion War and stuff like that, but I don't think it's in any way not canon to show different species of the Klingon Empire. And I love these new Klingons. They're so alien. They're so scary. They're you know my, I do have some problems with the prosthetics. I think uh, everyone up till now with Laurel Mary. Um, Mary Chifo, who was was able to be both brilliant, seductive, and subtle through all of that makeup, I'm so impressed with her. But I love these new Klingons, and this is, you know, I was a TOS guy, and I was dead set against TNG before it came out. And when TMP came out, I was like, "What's up with the Klingons?" And the only explanation we got for that was, "We have money now." <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, well, didn't Roddenberry call them Southern Klingons? We've only seen Northern Klingons up until now. So. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was something he kind along of tongue in cheek. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're telling me that you think Vok is going to go to the house of the matriarchs and be transformed into a more human shape and then join section 31 as an operative named Niels Barris? <laughs> <laughs> Could happen. I, I hadn't gone that far, but I'll buy that. Sure. <laughs> well, I, I think that these new Klingons, uh, to me. They're they're more Klingon. They they are the Klingons that we've been described, but we haven't been shown. Because 
we're supposed to think of the Klingons as being these big bad guys, but for the most part on the next generation, Worf, the, the, the Klingons became a joke a lot a, t- a lot of times because, you know, it would be things like Worf saying, and Captain, I object, I am not a merry man. You know, that kind of stuff. Klingons do not do this. Klingons do not do that. And it's supposed to be a punchline to a joke. And now we're actually being able to see the Klingons as a formidable bad guy. Yeah, but you know what? They they addressed that a little bit in DS9 when Jadzia just – she put Worf, Worf down on the mat and she said, why are you such a stick in the mud all the time? Where is the zest for life that I've seen in every other Klingon I've ever met? So maybe it's just that Worf is a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I have long suspected as much. Yeah. Guinan put a pretty <laughs> yeah. fine point on it. No, other Klingons laugh. You don't. Right. <laughs> right. He, yeah. he tried, to say, tried to pull the stick out, but he just – even he yeah. could – he, he tried to say Klingons do not laugh. And Guinan said, you're full of shit. <laughs> I mean, if Kang couldn't laugh, they'd still be killing each other on the Enterprise. Yeah. Day of the Dove? Mm-hmm. Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only a fool fights in a burning house. That's right. All right. Well, okay. Um, Rick, I was going to read your, your comments about uh, last week's episode, but since you're here, I'll just let you tell us what you thought of uh, Context is for Kings. Uh, I loved it. Um, uh, it was scary. It was dark, uh, and not just lighting-wise. Uh, I love the fact that uh, we finally see the real aftermath of a space ac- accident instead of a nice bloodless, oh my god, the crew member's stuck in the floor kind of thing. Um you know, it was. I'm not entirely down with everything on the show yet, but I love that they're just going for it. I love that there's a total commitment to the universe they've created. Every Star Trek series has recreated the franchise in some way or another. And yes, this is going further than anyone has before, but there was also never this much time between series before. And. You know, every sh- every show is kind of a reflection of the zeitgeist of its era, and the audiences today are very, very different than they were 12 years ago. And so, kind of patterning a show, at, you know, a little bit after Alien and a little bit after the X Files, and we've got a captain that we don't know if we can trust him or not, and we've got arguments between, you know, I love the bickering between Stamets and Lorca. I don't like Stamets. But not, I don't like his performance. I just, I think the guy's a jerk. But he's a lot like Rodney McKay from Stargate Atlantis in that he's a brilliant jerk, so we got to put up with his assholiness. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I like that the dialogue is very real. You know, people have been bitching for years about how fake Star Trek is. And here we got a show where people are reacting the way they would in these situations, and people are still bitching about it. You just can't win with some people. Um I love the universe they're building. I love the the moral dilemmas they've brought up. This week, this week's episode, really, the the way they're treating. You know, I'm I'm sorry, I'm coming in really late to this, so forgive me if I if I repeat anything you guys have already talked about. You know, the fact that only Burnham noticed how horribly they're treating the tardigrade uh, is just that's so powerful. I can't. I'm. I'm I'm both afraid and anxious and, and anticipatory to see how Lorca reacts to it. Cause I don't think he'll have a problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the one I was really disappointed in was Stamets, but you know, he didn't notice cause he was just so excited. His star drive worked. Yeah. Um, so 
this is doing what Star Trek has done since the beginning. It's making us look at ourselves. And if what we see is ugly, well, then we that that's something we need to see. And this show is not sugarcoating anything because we're in 2017 now. We're in the post-9-11, post-been at war for 10 years, uh, you know, world in which the candy-coated, pastel-colored, uh, you know, plywood data card world of Star Trek that we grew up with isn't going to fly now. People aren't going to sit still for it. And so I love how they're just they're just tearing the veneer away. Now, one thing I did agree with Skipper last week is when he said that maybe I'll, this is... I'll be is, sure to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, I, 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 I've made no, no secret about it. I disagreed with 99% of what he said, except about the Orville. <laughs> but, um, he said that maybe this is like the last death throes of the, the pre-Gene Roddenberry utopian universe. And we're seeing the final purge of war and hate and greed and all that stuff. I think that's a fabulous insight. And I don't know if he was just, you know, kind of, tossing ideas around or if, it, if that was something he really thinks. But I love that idea that by using the prequel, they're showing us that we were assholes right up until we weren't. Because that that Pollyanna Star Trek of, of you know, the Jim Kirk era, you know, modern audiences won't sit still for it. They'll, you know, you know, how many people do you know that grew up watching TNG or Voyager or Enterprise who, when they see TOS, are like, oh, my God, that is so campy. Oh, but huh, see, I, I completely disagree with you. Um, the original series was much broader and more dynamic than you want to talk Pollyanna. TNG was the Pollyanna. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. You, you still had conflict, some kind of conflict in TOS. So I think that what Skip said is is a valid conclusion. But again, we're all just sitting here trying to retcon this in our heads so that we can make it fit into everything we've known. But it was it was funny. A friend of mine asked me, and he's a huge TNG fan. He said, well, I like this show. And I said, honestly, I don't think you will unless you stop trying to reconcile it to Star Trek from the 90s. Once you let go of that baggage, I'm pretty sure you're going to love it. But you just, you know, you're trying to serve two masters with this. Like, you want to accept it for what it is, but you want to fit it into larger continuity. Well, I'm thinking, let's accept it for what it is first, which is turning out to be pretty compelling, in my opinion, and then see how they get into all those points of continuity. And if they never do, it's still a good show. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Right. By the way, uh, now that I know who you are, I loved what you, your, uh, uh, Sean posted your, your, uh, thing you, you you said about discovery last week um, oh my my segment um i do uh just so everybody knows a little radio show here on long island called the Flipside, theflipside.com and my last segment was about discovery in which i uh I, I guess we'll save this for the predictions part of the show right sean well, we but i have my i have my own can. theory about all of this retconning because even though i'm telling everybody no don't worry about it i, I still i've done it i've already it's already done deal in my head so <laughs> go ahead i mean yeah go ahead your prediction oh do you really want to know well i think yeah, that things ahead. are going to get so bleak in the war that burnham is going to be forced to travel back in time to try to prevent her mistake and she's going to cause a schism in the timeline and poof everybody's wearing velour what do you think and <laughs> it turns out that the tos universe was the alternate universe 
And the producers aren't lying when they say that this show is set in the Prime Universe. Because that, I mean, I, just to reconcile the visual continuity alone. I mean, although I got to say, I'm loving these new uniforms. They're really growing on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, but the thing is, I mean, of course, that's ridiculous. But there is no way to reconcile it. Because, like I said in that segment, anybody who thought that the producers making the Vanguard series of a new digital streaming platform would adhere to 1960s era aesthetics, you're delusional. It's just not going to mm. happen. And it shouldn't happen because this is a show for today. So. Yeah, it's like the complaints that I've been... I, I saw something online about people complaining about the Klingons only speaking Klingon. I'm like, well, they're talking though the Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of makes sense for them to be speaking Klingon. Now, the, the only problem that I do have with that is that the subtitles go by too fast. Yeah, occasionally, yeah, I have yeah. to back up. Yeah, they go by quicker than I can read them sometimes. But uh, but yeah, I don't have I personally don't have a problem with Klingons speaking Klingon to other Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, um, I wanted to get into some of the fe- some of the feedback from last week's episode. So last week, Skipper Martin was on the show, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I haven't talked to Skipper about this. I mean, I'm sure he'll. Be, I don't know if he'll be listening or not, but. Uh, I have to defend Skipper just a little bit because when I asked him to be on the show, Discovery had not aired yet. He didn't know that he wasn't going to be a big fan of the show when he agreed to come on the podcast. But uh, but yeah, we got some comments from people that didn't uh, agree with a lot of the stuff that he said. And since his uh, CRTV uh, co-host is here, I thought that uh, Chris might want to read some of the negative comments we got about Skipper. <laughs> oh, I would just love to. You'd have to send them to me again, Sean. I'm trying to okay. pull them up and I can't find them. <laughs> Hold on just a second. Let me pull my email up and I'll just resend that to you. But yeah, you don't have to stop the show for that. I mean, I can make fun of Skip on Mike for hours at a time and I often do. I just thought it was really funny that here's the thing with Skip. I don't need to defend him because he's got his point of view and he does, you know, he, he sticks by it. But it might not have come across last week, but he loves, loves, loves Star Trek. And I think a lot of his anger, that perceived anger, was just frustration about what is this series and how is it Star Trek. He was having a hard time, as far as I could hear, reconciling the characters and why, as he said, why should I care? And I think that's one of the things that people were making fun of him about on Facebook. But I mean, I think he's got a valid point, because if it's one thing I didn't like about the series premiere is that it was all action and almost no character building. And I kind of like that they threw you right into the world. But truth be told, that series premiere kind of stunk. It didn't grab me. And it only gets better when you get more context of this broader universe. So I think upon a rewatch, it was actually pretty good. But it's because I now have a feel for this entire thing that they're trying to do. But at that at that point, what Skip only got to the third episode. Yeah, and that's just when you just saw the first glimmer of what this was going to be. And I think you even said, Sean, that uh, Matt Myra joked during the first after Trek. Well, we essentially just saw a two hour called open. So it's it's tough to judge this show on three episodes. And you know maybe Skip might have a different opinion come episode fourteen <clears throat> if he gives it a chance. But anyway, and he, we, he did in all fairness say that. Yeah, he, he did, he did yeah. say he might. So that's, you know, I and let me let me just say I was not trying to to uh, uh, come down on him for for what he said last time. Uh, I mean, the, really, the only thing that I, I take great issue with is 
that he said it wasn't compelling because I've, I've been hooked since it started. But, you know, everybody's different. And, uh, you know, I, I was I was sucked in from the from the very first moment. Um, I, I that's how it was. It was less disagreeing and, and puzzled that that he was, you know, not caring at all because um, I've been I've been captivated whether I agreed with some of the things that were happening or not. You know, this show is very much more J.J. Abrams than I would have liked it to have been. Um, but I'm still enjoying it. But, you know, I, w- I want to just say as as one of the co-hosts on this show that eventually I will be here for this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to, I want to thank Skipper for having the cojones to come on here and, you know, say, all right, I, you know, I didn't like the show and I'm not going to pretend I did. That was, that was a brave thing. So for all the, all kidding aside, that was, you know, that was a cool, cool thing for him to do. Did it come through Chris? Uh, did you send it on Facebook Messenger? Or uh, no, you... I, sent, I sent it to your email. Okay. Calling it up now. Here we go. Hate mail. <laughs> I think that's the one. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and to be, to be, I mean, truthful, they're not, not, our audience was not hateful at all. So. No, I, mean, I think were... people just took some issue. Like, but it, it's like Rick said. I mean, I, I, there's also a fan contingent out there that, God forbid you say anything negative, then you must hate Star Trek. And that's why this has been such a polarizing show. Have you guys run into that? I know like online, but just speaking to fellow fans, I did. Rich, whole... Have you ever heard anything like that? <laughs> I mean, personally, not, not just cruising, not just cruising the net. Um, actually, do you know, I've never been accused of not liking Star Trek because I've said a lot of bad things about it and no one's ever really questioned it. But I, I, that's, I, I tend not to communicate with the wider audience. That that would be saying like no one who's ever heard "Make It So" has ever accused me of not liking Star Trek. That's that's about it because the fans are crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, and this this so, particular series has been polarizing. Like I said, I, I told mm-hmm. Skipper last week, most of the people that I have talked to online either really really like Discovery or they really really hate it, and most of the people that hate it at least at least to give skipper credit at least he watched it because most of the people that are hating on it have not even watched it beyond the pilot if they even watch that much of it and but they but they love the orville <laughs> a, a, a lot of the hate is probably coming from just the first half of the pilot from people who watched what was on cbs but didn't uh, take the time or go through the trouble of uh getting online to see the second half yeah, and 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 people, if you're wondering, I've heard a lot of people questioning this. They say they're not gonna they're not gonna watch it right now. They're gonna wait for it to come out on Netflix. It's not coming out on Netflix in America. Yeah, and not mean, in this country. Yeah, I mean, if you if you think you're gonna wait a year and then they're gonna release this whole season on Netflix, it's not gonna happen. If you don't watch it on CBS All Access, that's the only way legally you can watch it. The only other way you can watch it is if you torrent it or something like that. And I don't recommend that. <laughs> I, I would even say get ready for them to take regular Star Trek off Netflix and put it on CBS All Access. Yeah, I said that. It's already there. I mean, it's already on CBS All Access. They just haven't gone through the trouble of taking it off of Netflix. It's on Netflix and Hulu. So I would imagine eventually they'll take it off of both of those places and you'll yeah, be able to find it on CBS All Access. Because it, it's something with it. it's Disney are doing it. With, with you know, they've launched a streaming service and said, right, no more Disney movies, Star, uh, Star Wars movies, or uh, Marvel movies on Netflix. We've got our own thing. We need our content back. Thank you. Yeah, they're they're going to be pulling all that. I think by 2019, 
is when Disney's going to be pulling all their stuff. And I can virtually guarantee now that CBS All Access exists and they have a flagship Trek series on there, next time the, the contract is up for renegotiation between CBS and Netflix, Star Trek is going away. Yeah, I mean, Netflix is keeping... They're keeping the... Um the Marvel Netflix series like Daredevil and all that. But as far as the movies, all that stuff's going to be going to, to Disney, which Disney, I mean, if they decide to do a, uh, star Wars original series, then I'll be signed up for that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay, Chris, you want to go ahead? Okay. I'm, I'll, I'll just read, uh, one of the main ones. It was from a guy named Bullion Bingle. And he writes, hope you guys don't mind me chiming in again. Was very excited to see the next pod was up, but I had to stop listening five minutes in. Do you hear that, Skip? You hear what you did to poor Sean's show? <laughs> had to stop listening five minutes in. That guest, in quotation marks, exclamation point, exclamation point. I have no problem with critiquing the show, but I get enough Trek bashing from the Trek Facebook groups I'm in. When you first asked him what he thought of the first two episodes, and he started that rant, this was my face, and he's looking on online like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Hope it got better for you. I'll see you guys next week. So, yes, my partner literally drove one of your audience members away, and for that, I don't know if I'm thrilled or horrified. Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> well, Sean still got the download for that one click, so so he's all right. Yeah, that's okay. true. But... <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's... and, and uh, uh, Troy... Troy Wood, who is the host of the uh, World War G podcast, and he's actually going to be on this podcast next week. Uh, he commented, uh, Sean, I was banging my head against the wall listening to your podcast, and it had nothing to do with you and John. <laughs> 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 and then late, later in the day, I posted a, uh, a a link to the trailer for this episode, for the you know episode four of Discovery, and he commented, but why should I care? <laughs> <laughs> so well just uh just and we'll get off skip after this but that's a problem that he's got with a lot of entertainment it, it seems like he's got a very hard time getting into characters if he feels like he's seen it somewhere before and um if if they don't grab him in some way it, it, it could be a combination of both of those and just nothing about this series seemed to speak to him so he you know he, he just called it like he saw it at that point and you know, like 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 we say, not everybody has to like it. It's gonna it's gonna chart its own cost. If you're gonna break a mold, you're going you're going to lose people. And this show is breaking the mold. I mean, it's nothing like any Star Trek we've ever seen before. And I think that's actually a really good thing because I, for one, was getting quite sick of Star Trek as we had seen it before. I think they were going back to that well one too many times, two too many, five too many times. I mean, we needed something different. And I, I think that this is good different, not bad different like Into Darkness. I think this is good different. And Skipper, I'm still a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. I, I actually had a lot of fun with it because I've been podcasting for a little over two years now and I've never gotten any negative comments before, so I was kind of loving it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I'm sharpening up my Lerpa anytime you want to meet me on the Mount Salea. Let's go. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. And uh, you guys, next time you come on Castle Rock TV podcast and tell us how much Castle Rock sucks when it premieres. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I'll, uh, I'll I'll wrap up the discussion for this week. So, uh, Chris, I'd like to thank you for being here today. You want to tell uh, tell everybody about your podcast? 
Yeah, Skip and I host the CRTV podcast, Castle Rock TV podcast, and we are discussing all of the Stephen King books, characters, and movies that seem somehow related or that might tie into the new Hulu series, Castle Rock, that is premiering sometime in 2018. They just had a uh, conference, not a conference, a panel about it at New York Comic Con, which they released a new trailer for. They had Sissy Spacek and Melanie Linsky and Bill Skarsgård, who just played Pennywise in it, who's also going to be in the show. And they still said almost nothing about what this freaking show is about. So we don't know, but we're along for the ride, just discussing all the Stephen King source material that they might be using that, that we know that they're going to be tapping into. So you can hear us every week. It's crtvpodcast.com. And you can find us on every level of social media at crtvpod. Yeah, I did. I did watch that trailer today and I did not know anything else about it after all. No, it, I mean, it's effective. <laughs> it, it's it's visually it's it's pretty striking, but it's yeah. still just a giant question. Classic JJ Abrams is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't Great. seen the trailer for it, but I, I entertain myself with the notion that it's going to be rather like as Once Upon a Time is to Disney and fairy tales. It's going to be that for Stephen King. Let's hope so. Rick, thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. <laughs> Glad y'all are still recording. <laughs> and I Scott? promise I'll be here for the rest of the shows. Uh, it's been a very weird month, folks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, thanks for being here. <laughs> thanks for having me back. I, th- th- this was a fun time. And um, having just listened to your episode of uh, uh, The Prime Direction with Chris, uh, I think, two days ago, I listened to it at work. Uh, this was a... Yes, I listened to it because I knew he was going to be on on tonight's show and I was going to be here as well. But uh, after listening to his episode, this this was a real treat. It was real nice to to be on the mic with you. Oh, guys, I got to tell you, I'm honored. I love talking Star Trek. I love Sean's show, Cosmic Potato, and just the energy he brings to everything. And Rick, this is the first time I'm actually talking to you. I think that you and Sean and John are just hilarious together whenever you're talking on whatever show. So I'm just I'm just I'm, I'm sad that John's not here. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be able to get in touch with him at some point, too. But, uh, yeah, I, and, you know, thanks, guys, for listening to my stuff and for inviting me on. It, it really is uh, a pleasure. No problem. And, Richard, thank you, sir, for being here. You're very welcome. As I said, thank you for having me. It's been great to talk about Star Trek again. I, fe- <laughs> I felt bad when I was listening to movie news the other day because I scheduled Richard to be on here before, and we got confused over the time difference because Richard's in the U.K., and uh, he thought he was five hours ahead of me. He's actually six hours ahead of me, so yeah. he had to cancel. <laughs> and uh, and and then he, he said on the movie news show, well, I had to cancel that one time, and he won't let me come back on. <laughs> so, I was joking. It was just I, I a know. joke. <laughs> I know, I know, but I felt bad. So. <laughs> okay. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week, guys. Uh, join us next week. Uh, Rick will be back. John will be back. Our guest will be uh, Troy Wood from the World War G Podcast. And we'll be talking about episode five, which I believe is titled Choose Your Pain. Yeah. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for joining us for Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. Your feedback is welcome. 
Leave us a comment and review on iTunes or follow us on Facebook. The views and opinions stated on this program are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of Simply Syndicated, CBS, Paramount Pictures, or their sponsors. Star Trek Discovery is owned by CBS and has no affiliation with Simply Syndicated or this podcast. No infringement of copyrighted material is intended. Be sure to join us again next week as we analyze another episode of Star Trek Discovery here on Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show.